Well, I hope you had a great New Year's, and I hope, you know, you've, your things are getting back in gear for you, and, and now it's 2021, everything's going to be different. Uh, you know, I guess our numbers are, you know, people that are getting sick are as high as, high as ever. We did, uh, we did lose one of our dear, dear members this last week, uh, last Friday, Mel Shearer, just the nicest man, sweetest man. And uh, he had COVID and recovered and then had kind of a relapse of pneumonia and uh, it got him. So be in prayer for Ginger, his wife. Uh, the funeral will be here on Friday at 11. Uh, if there's, we'll, we'll, we'll put that notice out there more, but uh, be in prayer for the family. So we're, we're in a series called Why? And we're going to be trying to answer in the next couple of weeks some of those basic things about why. Last week we talked about why is there something instead of nothing. Which why did God create anything? Uh, it's it's kind of like even the very existence uh, that there is something makes you want makes you look at there has to be something that created what exists. Of course, we believe that is God. The scientists see that as a singularity, some single moment in time when mass, which was incredibly dense, and with no explanation of where that came from, mass that was incredibly dense, uh, exploded 14 billion years ago or so, and, and the universe came into existence. Uh, we believe that what the Bible says is that God said, God spoke it into existence, which makes just as much sense to me as just some incredibly small amount of mass that we don't know where it came from or why it exists in such an incredibly, incredibly small space uh, suddenly exploded and became incredibly vast. Uh, so they both take faith. You just decide which, which one is easier for you to get a hold of. God created the world. We know why God created the world. So why is there something instead of nothing? This is kind of, can I give you a little review of last week? Because you weren't here last week. It was all online. I didn't get to see you when I told you this. So so it, uh, it always feels different. Uh, God created the world for his glory. God didn't create the world, and we're going to talk about this several times. God, God doesn't create out of need. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need our worship. It wasn't like God said, one day said, you know, I really need some humans that will, you know, gather on Sunday mornings and sing songs about me. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need our worship. Our worship doesn't add anything to God. If you go and stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you go, wow, it doesn't get bigger. Does it? What you are recognizing, it, you are in awe of its grandeur. You're in awe of its majesty. So you look at it and you think, wow. You, you don't add anything to it. it doesn't, you know, the Grand Canyon doesn't respond and say, thank you. God in the same way, God doesn't need us. God didn't create us because he needed us. He created out of the abundance of his nature, the abundance of his attributes. Everything God created, he created so that his glory, his attributes would be revealed. So God created, and he created in such a way that his attributes would be revealed through what he created. 
His love, His grace, His mercy, His justice, His holiness, His power, His wisdom, His presence, His immutability, He doesn't change, His goodness, and so much more. He created out of those attributes, and then He created, you know, this glorious universe. You think, why? You know, if, if we're the only ones, and we, you know, uh, out of the billions and billions and billions, there's billions of galaxies and there's billions of stars in every galaxy. And in that, even within our galaxy, there's like, they say, there's like something like 500,000 inhabitable planets that they believe, you know, within our galaxy. You got to realize that our galaxy is huge and it just in our galaxy, just to go to the, uh, to the center of our galaxy is 26,000 light years from us. So it's so much of the universe may not even still exist. You understand that, right? Because we're, it's light has been traveling to us for billions of years. What we're seeing is we're in a sense seeing history because of what has happened billions of years ago. What's have to do with God? It's just, why, so why is, the, why is the universe so big? Because it displays the glory of God. Because it's not about us, it's about him. So the universe is not big to God. It's just big to us. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. There's something instead of nothing because God wants to exalt the, and glorify the Son. And the Son wants to exalt and glorify the Father. There's, some, there's something so that God can exalt his Son and that the Son wants to exalt the Father. Then there's something instead of nothing because God wanted to display his glory and his grace in adopting you and I into his eternal family and providing a way. God in his glorious grace and love and mercy, his attributes, his love, grace, mercy, goodness, kindness, justice, righteousness, and all of his goodness and attributes, he did that to, because he wanted to include us. He didn't need us. We need him. But he wanted to include us into his eternal family. So that was last week. Today, so today I want to talk about not just the general purpose that God, why created. I want to talk about why. Why did God make you and I? What is, what is the purpose for my life? Now we're going to get down into plans in a little more detail later on. But just the, kind of want to look at the big picture. So God creates everything for his glory. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him, and we glorify God by enjoying him. So that we're, why are we created? We're created to, to <laughs> glorify God and enjoy him forever. So God created you on purpose, his purpose. There's a purpose that God created you. You're not an accident. No matter the circumstances of your birth, no matter if you were planned or unplanned, adopted or unadopted, whatever, God plans you. I, Tina's mom used to describe Tina 
because Tina came along uh, 16 years later than her older brother. So her mom had one baby, and then another baby, boom, and then 16 years, Tina came along. And so her mom described Tina as their mistake. But she didn't stop there, which would have been cruel, of course. She would say it was the best mistake we ever made. Uh, You know, and a lot of parents, if we're honest, they would say, you know, well, this wasn't, you know, there was, that wasn't a, that wasn't the plan, but it was the plan. It always was the plan. So first of all, uh, the Bible tells us that God made man in his image. We are the image bearer of God's image. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Someday we're going to talk about that us. That's very important us right there. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. John Piper says this, the point of being created in the image of God is that human beings are destined to display God. That's what images do. And the point of being redeemed by Jesus and renewed after the image of our creator is to recover this destiny. The reason God made us is to be a reflection of his nature and character in the world. God created us. And he, one of the ways then that God reveals himself through that he reveals himself, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And he reveals himself through us and in us. Each of us then is in some way, God is calling us our divine purpose then, our our purpose in life. Why are we here? We're here to reveal the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the patience of God. Anybody, has God been patient with anybody in this room? You know, I mean, Why were Adam and Eve not consumed right after they sinned? I believe that the serpent believed that when he convinced Adam and Eve to sin, that God, he believed God would wipe them out right then. He's like, well, we'll be done with these puny little creatures that are taking God's attention from us. So God made us as a reflection And of course, Jesus did this perfectly. Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also he made the world. So Jesus is the one, Jesus is the word that went forth and created the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. So he is, Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We understand that Jesus showed us God's God's image perfectly. In his deity, he was capable of doing that, and his deity shone through his humanity. But in his humanity, he demonstrated, like we should demonstrate, the image. He bore the image of God. He was the exact representation. So we know that Jesus can do that. How do we do that? 
right? Because we're not God. But something has happened to us. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, if anyone is in Christ, or if you have come to, and if you, through faith in Christ, you've come into relationship with God, if you're in Christ, he is a new creature. In other words, you're not the same thing you were. You're different. You've, you've been made different. You're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So, what this lets us know that if we're going to accurately bear the image of God, we have to do that through Christ because we cannot on our own accurately bear the image of Christ to the world unless Christ is in us, changing us, conforming us. So we want to conform to the image of Christ. Paul said, I, you know, I rejoiced until Christ is formed in you. We, we talk about the perfecting of the saints and the perfecting of the saints is that work of of God completing within us so that we are manifesting the image of Christ. We want to, we want to be image bearers to the world. And we want to be able to show the world this is what Christ is like. This is, we, this is not what I'm like. This is what Christ is like. We want, to, we want to be a reflection of God. So God created us to reflect his image, bear his image. God created us to be in partnership with him, expressing his will on the earth. So God calls us into relationship, and that relationship then brings us into partnership. In Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And again, he says, rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he says, he says to man, it's created man, he says, I want you to rule over everything in the earth. I want you to rule over the earth. He said, I want you to recognize also that in, in your creation, your male and your femaleness, each represents the image of God. So it, it takes men and women to fully represent the image of God. And then God created us to be fruitful and to multiply. And he's speaking of two aspects. He talk, to be fruitful means to reproduce. We, we see all, you know, we, and we see that. Things reproduce. Plants reproduce. Weeds reproduce. Everything uh, reproduces. He said to them, I want you to fill the earth. Then the Lord said to the man in Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So then God takes him, the man, and puts him in the garden of Eden. I believe God's plan for man without sin was for him to expand Eden, Eden to cover the whole earth. We don't know how long it was exactly before man rebelled, uh, but it didn't take long that they fell into sin. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother sermon. Uh, but God told them, he put them in the garden and he told them to cultivate it and to keep it. Cultivate, cultivate. The word cultivate means till, toil, work, 
accomplish. In other words, he put him in the garden to work. I think a lot of times we think of work as the curse. And the work is, work is not the curse. Work is purpose. God made you to be productive. He, he basically said, he put them in the garden. He said, I want, you to, I want you to take care of this. I want you to extend it. Extend it. I, want you to, I, want, I want you to increase it. I, want, I put you here on the earth. I want you to make it better. Part of, the, part of what's happening within us when God uses us to, when we are showing forth his image, is that God wants us to, to make the world a better place. We don't, we don't always do that. Uh, and when we think of that, we think of pollution and all of the other aspects, and that's one aspect of it. And one of the, but one of the things that makes human life bearable is not those things, but how we treat each other. So God made you to work. He made you to work and be productive. Uh, that is, that's to cultivate. God wants you to work. And, and you, you'll also often find that people, when they're not working, they struggle. This has been a difficult year for a lot of people because their work has been different. Uh, they've been working. Some of them have worked very, very hard in very, very difficult situations like nurses and doctors. And they've been working long shifts and long days. It's been very, very difficult, very, very hard. And a lot of other people have been working, hardly not seeing anybody. Locked away in their homes with Zoom meetings. And, you know, you do about 20 Zoom meetings and you're done. You're Zoomed out. And it just doesn't, it's not the same. I mean, even though, you know, some, some of you are watching now online, you're watching online, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're a, we're able to do that, but it's not the same. It's not the same as, as being together with, with God's people. It's, it's better than nothing, but not much. <laughs> so, so, he calls us then to, to cultivate and to keep. The word keep means to watch over, guard, manage, steward. God wants us to be stewards of everything that he gives, that he puts before us. He wants to keep, watch, guard, manage, stewards. What do you have? What's before you? What, what's God given you? Has he given you a garden? Well, maybe he didn't give you a garden, but did he give you a family? Did he give you children? Did he give you a job? What, 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 what do you have? What do you have that you, need to, that you need to watch over, guard, manage, and steward? So God calls us to work, and he calls us to be productive. And it's, it's, not, it's not the curse. It's, it's, it's a part. God is creative, and God works. So God calls us to be partners with him and work to bring his image be his image bearers even in our work. He tells us to be fruitful. What, what does that look like? Well, Jesus gives us a really good example of what being fruitful is like in the New Testament. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's a lot. Basically, what he says is if you, if you want to bear fruit, you have to be connected to me. The only way to bear fruit, he is the vine and we are the branches. And if we want to bear fruit, we have to abide, dwell, live in, draw our strength from, be connected to uh, Jesus. He says, and if you do this, you'll keep the commandments. And what's interesting is that Jesus kept the commandments, but he didn't keep the commandments to earn the Father's love. We always struggle with this. We always get this part backwards. We're doing stuff so God will love us. Jesus, when Jesus came as a baby and walked in flesh and obeyed and did everything the Father did, he didn't do it so when he was done, God would say, now I love you. Because before he started his ministry, when he was baptized by John, he heard the Spirit of God descend upon him, and the Spirit of, and God said, this is, my, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. When he was transfigured, this is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He, are, he, he knew it. We don't obey to earn God's love or prove our love for God, we obey because we are loved. So that, when we understand that we're loved and, that, and we abide in Christ, that produces fruitfulness. Fruitfulness looks like, from a biblical standpoint, the Spirit of God producing the full nature of Christ in us. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So he's saying, okay, these are the fruits you're wanting to produce. So Jesus says, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Then Paul says, okay, I want to clarify for you what the fruit is. This is what you're trying to produce. You're producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. They are not the fruits of the Spirit. It is, in other words... It's the fruit of the Spirit. There are things on this list. You think about, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those things, there is no law. There's, there's things on this list that align with your personality and are easier for you to do and harder for me to do. And there's things that are easier for me to do and harder for you to do uh, because of our personality styles. Some of you out of your personality may be very patient. And so, so what we have a tendency to do is we look at this list, because we, we like lists. 
The flesh likes lists. That's a hard word to say, isn't it? Lists. So, so we look at this list and we think, uh, I'm not very good at patience. I need to work on patience. And that's probably all of us. Because I, there are, here's how this works with me. Here's how I know it's a work of the flesh. Because there's times I can be very patient and there's times I'm not patient at all. Anybody here? And there's, or you might say, I don't have self-control. I need to do better and try harder at having self-control. I need to, I need to, <laughs> which is interesting. What you're saying is, if I had self-control, I could have self-control. <laughs> I need to control myself so that I'll have self-control. But I'm not good at controlling myself, so I need self-control. So I, you know, so what? If we're not careful, this list of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faith—it's like plates we're trying to spin. I need to be patient. I need to be kind. I need to be good. I need to be gentle. Oh, quit spinning the patient plate! What do you mean? You know, uh, <laughs> and in a minute, and you lose it. And it's so. If you're doing that, then that makes Christianity exhausting. I got to keep the plates spinning. I, I got to do better. I have to try harder. I, I'm not being fruitful. So, how how do you how do you produce the fruit of the spirit and not just manufacture more works of the flesh, doing better, trying harder? So Jesus said, the way that you do that, the only way to do that, is to dwell in Jesus. To abide in Jesus. Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you, and the branch cannot, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So, how do you do that? I mean, that, okay, abide in me. Jesus said, abide in me. Dwell in me. How? And if you're not, if not careful, you will create another list of things to do so that you will dwell in and abide. So if I abide, then I'll be able to do this list. So how am I going to abide? Well, there's probably another list for me to do. I need, I mean, I need to do the stuff. I need to do the stuff. I need to do the stuff. I, I need to, I need to be at church. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I need, I, I need the word of God. If your word is in me, if you abide in me, so it has to be with his word. Jesus is the word. I need the word of God in me. If I've got the word of God in me, uh, it's the fruit of the spirit. I need the spirit of God in me. I need more of the spirit of God. So I need more of how. how. That's why this next part is important. God created us. For relationship with him. The key to abiding, it's a relate, it's not a thing, it's not a list. You, I mean, you don't say to your wife, I, I have to say I love you three times today to prove that I love you. 
But we do that with prayer and reading the Bible, and all of those things are good things. But if we're not careful, we've done them from the wrong side of the page. We've done them from the flesh side and the work side, and we haven't done it from the relationship side. Jesus said, if you abide in me, how do you do it? It is relationship. Genesis 3.8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So they... They, they were ready for this. This was something that, that must have happened regularly because they were ready for it because they recognized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. Uh, and they hid themselves because they were expecting God to show up. So they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And you know who this was? Did you know who this was? It was walking with them in the garden at the cool of the day. It was Jesus. You know, we've talked about this. So every time you see someone in the Old Testament where it talks about God was a man, it's always Jesus. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. So when Jesus was born, just as the Bible says that he was, he was slain before the foundation of the world. So Jesus died for our sins on the cross in 2000, I mean in... 30 AD, you know, kind of, but he was actually, that all actually took place before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the only begotten son of God. So the only begotten son, when we see God manifest in the flesh, it's always Jesus. Because once becoming, he is eternally in, he has eternally has humanity attached to him. When he took on flesh, it wasn't just for 30 years. It was eternally. That's not the sermon, but okay. So that's another sermon. I'm out of time. So, so they're afraid of God. They're hiding themselves from the presence of the Lord because they know they've sinned. God creates us for relationship. One of the reasons God created man is that he wanted that God wanted this. He didn't need it. There's no neediness in God. Acts 17. I'm going to talk about this a couple times. You've got to get this because the world always sees this is that, you know, they'll even say things like this, you know, well, you know, our, our, our in-laws died because God needed another angel. No. And when people die, they don't become angels. Just throwing that out there. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So Paul, so Paul has written this about the fruit of the Spirit, and, he's, and so he's, he's wanting us to have the fruit of the Spirit. So how do we do it and not be a list? And how do we not maintain that by another list? Okay, I need to be in the Word. I need to pray. I need, so, that, so I'm going to do this list so I can do this list. So then, and so then all of that ends up being good things in the flesh. We're just Pharisees. We're doing good things, but we're doing it in our own strength. And we never keep it up. 
So how do we, how do we abide? So Paul then explained to the Ephesians what needs to happen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. So the heavenly family and the earthly family, all created by God. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So if this is work of the spirit, right, the fruit of the spirit is, it would seem like it makes sense that if you want to have the fruit of the Spirit, that to be strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man would be one of the things, right? To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. So Paul is saying, here's what I want you to pray. He said, hey, you Ephesians, I want you to grow up and be mature. I want you to treat your wives right. I want you to treat your husbands right. I want you to be godly people. But here's what I want you to get first. I want you to understand how you're going to do it, where the source of the strength is going to come from. It's not going to come from doing better and trying harder. It's going to come from God filling you with something. What's he going to fill you with? The knowledge of how much God loves you. So that your behavior doesn't come from oughts and shoulds. Your behavior, the fruit of the Spirit, instead flows from this this overflowing knowledge of, of how much God loves you. And I love this. He says, I want you to know something that is unknowable. He says, I want you to comprehend the uncomprehendable so that you'll be filled up with the fullness of God. It is an understanding and growing in the understanding and continually seeing the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of the love of God and what Christ did for you and what Christ accomplished and rejoicing in the cross and rejoicing in his taking our sins and rejoicing in the resurrection and seeing the story and seeing the purpose. And it was all because he wanted out of his love to bring us into his family. And as we understand the height and the depth and the breadth of his love, I'm filled up with the fullness of God. The fruit of the Spirit happens. It's not a list. It's a fruit. It's not a thing to do. It's good to do good things, but it doesn't work. It's like a diet. Anybody ever gone on a diet? Have you ever been as hungry as you are on a diet? When you know you can't have something, it makes you want it more. It doesn't change your behavior. You just, by your will, Make your behavior change for a season. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. Just by exertion of our will, being more patient with people around us. It has to be the outflow. 
of God filling us with His fullness because we understand we're, we have an ever-growing. You're never going to be filled up. You're never going to be bored with this. It's like, well, I understand the love of Jesus now. No, you don't. It's, it's incomprehensible. It's, it's, greater than, it's greater than you'll ever be able to get a hold of. It will always be a wow that God loves me. I was a jerk this week. But God still loves me. I screwed up. God still loves me. I wasn't patient. I wasn't kind. I wasn't gentle. God didn't say, on you, buddy. And so, so that draws me to him. And I want to do it. Not, as to, not because it's something I ought to do, but because he loves me so much, he's changing my want-tos. Amen? All right, let's stand. Lord, sometimes plate-spinning Christianity is hard. It's exhausting. And I don't want to be a worse, I don't want to say, well, I don't want to do that stuff out of the flesh. And I don't want to, in the, as a result of it, say, well, grace will abound so, so, you know, I can sin because grace will abound. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to do that. But, but I want to be empowered. I, I want to see it different. I want, to, I want to do it not out of a work of the flesh. Lord, I want, I want to do it out of the power of the Spirit of God. That's the only way I can. It's the only hope for me, God. My only hope is in you, and I rejoice in you. And Lord, help me to understand, help me to see how wide, how deep and wide, how high, how wonderful, the, the great, the greatness of your love that is beyond comprehension. Lord, may, may we leave here today just understanding just, just a little bit more, just a tiny bit more how much more you love us and that our motivation would be he loves me so much I want to please him I don't want to please him so he'll love me he loves me so much he's done so much for me I want to live in that love and that greatness empower us Lord by your spirit as we understand the great things that you have done and who you are and how glorious and marvelous you are. In Jesus' name, amen.